Good morning, Grace View. Good morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm humbled to be up here this morning, and I do want to thank the church leadership, our, our pastor Jeff as well, for <clears throat> excuse me, giving me an opportunity to come and, and share with you this morning on uh, what God has put on my heart. Um, so thank you, and thank you for all of you that's uh, prayed for me and have encouraged me uh, for this time as well. Uh, also, I just want to point out this third row here, this whole third row here. <laughs> Family and friends, thank all of you for coming. Uh, we have Bowens over here in the end. Thank you. I'm watching out for one of those little boys over there, by the way. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then also uh, my brother uh, and sister-in-law, Greg and Margaret Burkett's here, and then uh, my daughter, Ashley, and her husband, Zach, and grandma, and my wife. And again, it's a blessing to be here. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we have just praised you. We thank you. God, we recognize you that without you, we are nothing. We thank you that we have lifted up and been reminded of your grace, of your goodness to us, of your blessings. Lord, how you have provided for us over and over and over again. And so, Lord, as we look to you today, I pray that there'd be nothing that would stand in the way from us hearing you. So, Lord, we confess to you of any sin, any wrongdoing, anything, God, that we have maybe looked at, thought about, said, that's dishonored you. So we confess our sins to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you forgive us and cleanse us from all sin and all unrighteousness. So we just bless you. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning, to open up our eyes, to see things, God, that we could never see unless you reveal them to us. And Lord, we also pray that you give us ears to hear that we would never hear unless you open the door so that we can be hearers. And we thank you ultimately, Father, for the Lord Jesus, who you sent to, to redeem us, to make atonement for our sin. We thank you. And Lord, we just desire to lift you up. Father, we glorify you. We lift you up and we pray that you'll be honored. And Lord, that you will draw us to yourself. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, as you can see the, uh, the outline there, um, I don't know how much I'll be able to stick with all this. Um, I'll just keep hearing 45 minutes in my, in my brain, Tim Turner. Um, but uh, this morning I want to share with you something that God has definitely put on my heart, and that is that God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. He has a divine design for each and every one of us. And yet, as a church, and I think especially in America, it's so easy for us to miss that because we get so busy. We get so caught up in things that, that's happening around us. And we, we decide to kind of live life the way that we want to live it rather than how the Lord would have us to live it. So we're going to look at God's plan, his purpose, and we're going to see how God has a plan for Christ. For Jesus coming to this earth. And I know most of us in here know that. But that was a plan. That was a purpose. That was something that, again, that was created long before 
God even created the earth. And we're going to see that. And then we're going to see that God has a plan for me, for you, individually, here. We're, it's just not 2022 that we're here in 2022. This was something that was foreordained, that you're here, but not only here, but also here on this planet, why God has you here. And so we're going to look at that, God's plan and God's will, God's divine design for you. So if you would open up to Isaiah chapter 46, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. Isaiah 46, God's word. Remember this and be assured, recall to it mine, you wrongdoers. Remember the former things long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. You see, when Isaiah wrote this, he was already dead when this was happening. So this was prophecy done future-wise. And of course, at this time, the Israelites are forsaking God, and the Babylonians are going to come in and take them away as slaves. And so here, the prophet God is speaking through is saying, look, remember, Remember, look, two times in verse 8 and verse 9, it starts off, remember. Remember what I have done for you. Remember your heritage. Remember I called Abraham. And when I called Abraham, I established a nation. And through that nation, I'm going to glorify myself through you. I'm going to display my power. And we know that God called Abraham. And we understand that from Abraham, that's where the whole seed started through Isaac and, 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 uh, and Jacob, and then the 12 sons, and so forth. And so God is calling him, remember, remember what I've done. Also, remember that once you were enslaved, and I called Moses, remember I delivered you from that slavery. Remember that you were calling out on me to deliver you from, from this bondage, from slavery. And remember that I, used, I, I delivered you. Remember that through Moses, I gave the law. Remember, I had a plan for you. I had a, a place called the promised land that, that, that I led you to. And remember how you revolted against me. You rebelled against me. You left me. I didn't leave you. But remember, I brought you back. And I led you into that land. And Joshua led you in to destroy your enemies. Because these enemies were ones that wanted to get you to join in with them and to worship their gods and to fall into their ways and to be influenced by them. But remember, you are a special people. You are my people, and I have a life for you. And through you, I was going to reveal my power. Through you, I was going to reveal myself of who I am and my love for you and how that when you follow and obey me, I will bless you. I will pour out my blessings on you. You will be overflowed and overshadowed that everyone will look at you and know that you are mine. You've been redeemed. Remember. Of course, they didn't remember. They forgot. They forgot. There's other things that came up. They forgot God's word. They forgot God's promises. 
They forgot God's law. They forgot that they were God's special chosen people. And now they find themselves in this situation. And he's remember. Verse 8, remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind. You wrongdoers, that is you rebellious people. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. This just... Look, peek back to Isaiah here. I'm just going to read out some verses, call out some verses. But this book is full of displaying the, the character and the power of Almighty God. Uh, look at uh, chapter 40 and verse 15. And again, I'm just going to read off quite a few here. But just so we can remember, so we can be reminded this morning who God is. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of the dust on this scale. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Look at verse 21, same chapter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and the inhabitants of like uh, our grasshoppers who stretched out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Look at verse 25 and 26. To whom then will we compare me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One, Raise your eyes to high. Raise, excuse me, raise your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. Look at verse, chapter 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will be uh, also your helper. I will also uphold you with my righteous right hand. Look at chapter 42. Look at verse 5. This is what God, the Lord, says, who created the heavens, who stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to people on it and the spirit to those who walk on it. Look at 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am your, uh, and my servant. I have chosen you so that you may know and believe me. And understand that I am he, and before me there is no God formed, nor will there be any God formed after me. Verse 11, I, only I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. Look at 43, 25. I alone am the one who wipes out your wrongdoings. I will wipe out your sin, your rebellion. For my own sake... And I will not remember your sins. 44.6. This is what the Lord says. He who is king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of armies. I am the first and I am the last. And there is no God beside me. Look at 44.22. I have wiped out your wrongdoings like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, and I will redeem you. Look at 44.27. I am the one who says 
to the depths of the sea, dry up, and I will make it happen. Look at 45, 5, 6, and 7. I am the Lord, and there's no one else. There is no God except me. I will arm you, though you have not known me, so that my people may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no one else. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating disaster, I am the Lord, Who does all these things? Plenty, plenty of reminder and much, much more. Those are just a few. That he is God. He is sovereign. He is in complete control of all things. He is Elohim. That is, he is creator. He is power. He is Lord. He is over all things. He is beyond what we can even think or imagine. Look at the next verse. Verse 10, awesome verse, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Notice that verse again, declaring the end from the beginning. You see, when God said in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, he already knew revelation. So from Genesis from the very beginning, he already knew what was going to happen, right? From the very last verse in the Bible of, of, of uh, Revelation 22-21, and that is, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God knew it. In fact, it was just not there at the beginning, but God knew it from a thousand years before then or a billion years, or a trillion years, God knew everything he's going to do. He had it already in, from, from there, from the very, very, that time, wherever that is, God has known everything that's going to happen. In fact, he even knew you and I trillions of years times trillions of years, because why? God is eternal. He's self-sufficient, and he's always existed. I mean, that's hard for us to imagine, that is our God who we serve. And all the way back, he's known everything. He's known everything. And so what did God do in the condition of the state that Israel, and not only Israel, but today, 2022, what is it from the very beginning of man to the first sin in the garden to the very last sin will ever be committed on this earth? God already had a plan. So you would turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And we see again God involved with time. In Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 6, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent his Son born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit and his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice again, verse 4, but when the fullness of time. You see, when the fullness of time is, that is, again, 
when the time that God allotted, when God said, this is when the best time for you, for the Lord Jesus to come onto this earth. And so God, again, had everything orchestrated. He knew that at that time, you see, at that time, the last prophet to speak was Malachi. And it was 400 years that they had not heard from God. There was not a prophet. And so it was a dark time. Israel themselves politically was under Rome. So they were under dominion again. They were under, and they're basically enslaved. That we know that the religious leaders, as, uh, as Brother Jeff's been preaching about, we've, we've read again about the lies and the deceit and the plots to kill the Lord Jesus. So again, the purpose of Christ to come during the fullness of time, as it's showed here, is that he might redeem from the law. You see, he was born of woman. He was incarnate, God in the flesh. But he came during a time under the law. And we know that the law is 1 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 says, The law is good if it's used rightfully. The law is not made for the righteous, but the law is made for the sinner. The law is made for the whoremonger and for the adulterer and for the sexual immoral and so forth. The law is there to show us our sin. And so the law, in essence, everyone here in this room and everyone from the very beginning, the law is really our curse because the law condemns us. When we look at the law, we see a holy God, and yet the expectations that he requires of us, it's impossible. I cannot keep the law. And the Bible says in James, if you break one portion of the law, you're guilty of the whole law. So before God, I understood I was naked and and I was under sin and, and there was nothing I could do. And that's when God sent Christ into my life. But here, a specific time, during this time frame, he sent Christ into the life at the right time and born under. So Jesus came understanding and being identified who we are, taking on our flesh and understanding what it's like to be tempted of all temptations like we are, yet he never sinned. But he understood what it was like to be hungry. He understood what it was like to be lonely. He understood what it was like to be betrayed. He understood what it was like to be loved. He understood what it was like to be hated. He did all that so that put on the flesh, he left his glory in heaven so that he could identify with you and me. You see, in the beginning, it says that God made Adam and he says, let us make man in our image. And why did he make? He made Adam holy like him. And they had that fellowship together. And God told Adam, hey, if you sin, then you will surely die. And we know Adam and Eve, we know what happened. They sinned. And of course, they didn't die. Not physically, but they died from God. They were separated from sin. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says very clear that the wages of sin is death. And so they experience physical death, or excuse me, spiritual death. But yet God acted. In verse 21, it says that God took them and clothed them in animal skin. So what did that do? And something had to pay for the sin that they did. An innocent animal had to pay the price for the sin that Adam and Eve did. Does that sound fair? But that's what happened. And blood was shed. And then we see the very next chapter. There's Cain and Abel, and they come before God. And Cain brings his works from the ground, and he presents it to God. And Abel brings a blood sacrifice. 
and presents it and lays it before God, his altar. And God, what? He accepted Abel's. But he said to Cain, he goes, why are you angry? Why are you upset? If you do what's right, don't you know that, that you'll be accepted? But if not, sin lies at your door. You see, Cain tried to come to God on his own terms. Cain had developed, in a sense, a law of saying, this is what I need to do to please God and to get, and, and this, to, get to heaven and have my sins forgiven. Abel was following what God's pattern, and that is sin requires death. And here's this innocent animal. The blood is going to cover for my sin. So we see something here started. And, of course, we go to Exodus chapter 12 where there's the Passover. The Passover, God says, look, I'm going to send my death angel. I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. But I'm going to send my death angel. And this angel is going to come and is going to judge every home, every home there is. And he will kill the firstborn unless... There is blood of an innocent lamb that with, without blemish. And the blood will be struck at the lintels of the door. And if my death angel comes and sees the blood, he will pass over. And if not, he will judge and it will be death. You see, when John the Baptist came, he came preaching the kingdom of God is near. He came preaching that repent. And what did he do? He said, there's one coming who I'm not worthy to take off his shoes. And when he saw Jesus, he says, hey, this is it. Look, this is the lamb. This is the lamb of God that takes away sins of the world. He's the one. He's the one that will pay. Jesus came, what, not to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, he came to redeem us. That is, he purchased us so that we would be set free so that we would be able to have this restored life back to God that was broken because of Adam and Eve's sin. God says, I can make you whole again. I can make you righteous again. And it's not found in the law because if it was found in the law, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't say what? To save us from the law. And so we understand that through the Lord Jesus, he died on that cross and he identified bodily-wise, but yet ultimately he identified with you and I when he was on the cross, and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that very moment, what happened? Why would he say that? Because he was experiencing the curse of his father. He was experiencing our sin on the cross, and that sin brought separation from the first time of all eternity. Jesus experienced separation from his father. And he experienced the hell, so to speak. And he was judged on the cross as a sinner. As if he had sinned and he had never sinned. He experienced being an adulterer. He experienced being a fornicator, a homosexual. He experienced being a drunkard, a liar, a murderer. He experienced breaking the law that was put upon him. But he was innocent. But he did it. He took this curse for us. Look over in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Look what it says. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? He became the curse for us. He took our sin. He took our shame. So that we did not have to sit there and someday stand before a holy God. And he's saying, 
Away from me, you wicked one. Enter into the place called hell. He did it for us. You see, that's when he really experienced, that's when he really experienced who we are, is when he became like us, he became sin, even though he never sinned. You see, then he really experienced, this is who I died for. This is what I've experienced. That's when he experienced us. But see, the beauty is this. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, the exchange happened. That is this. Jesus, look, I will die for you. I will take on your sin. But when you believe in me, when you put your faith and your trust in me, I will give you my righteousness so that you will be like Adam was back in the beginning and your relationship with God will be restored so that you now can have fellowship and righteousness. And not only that, but now you are declared righteous. You now are holy. You now are pure. You now are who God created you to be. That's the great gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he came and he died in our place. That is love. That is something, again, by the law, by ourselves, we would all die. We would all go to hell. But Christ did it for us. That was the purpose why Christ came. That was God had that all ordained, went advance, so that way we did not have to go to this place of torment. Praise God. Praise God. And that's what Jesus Christ did for you and I. Also, just John chapter 17, real quick here. John 17. Wonderful chapter. True to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is praying. And notice in verse... Three and four, Jesus speaking, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Remember, God already said that, didn't he? Back in Isaiah 46, I am God, there's none other. And he says what? And that they may know you and that they may know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now notice verse 4. I glorified you on the earth by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. Jesus knew why he was here. He knew why he was sent to accomplish your work, Father, that you had for me to do. He understood why he was here. Remember Jesus himself said, Do you not know I must go to Jerusalem? I must be tortured, and I must be crucified, but I'll rise again. You see, he knew why he was here. He understood the Father's plan. He understood the purpose of him being. He was born to die. He understood that he was a divine design of his Father here on the earth for a purpose, and that purpose was to save mankind. How how much did he fulfill that? Look over at chapter 19 and verse 28. 
Look at, look at what the word says here. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing all things had already been accomplished, in order that scripture would be fulfilled. You see, he already knew what scripture said about him. Do you realize that for the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, over 300 prophecies, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in the Old Testament. He understood scripture. He understood. And so every one of those, you go back and you can study anything that was on Christ from his birth to his life to his death, his resurrection, were fulfilled 100%. 100%. And here, notice what it's saying again. In order that Scripture should be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. You know, that's out of Psalm 69. So he, he's, he's right before he's ready to die. He did the last of the fulfillment that he could do. That was one of the words he recited on the cross, the seven sayings. I thirst. He did that, remembered that on the cross. Of course, he thirst, but he knew that when he was doing it, he was fulfilling scripture. In fact, he knew that when he was on the cross, he was fulfilling scripture. And what did he say down in verse 30? Jesus, having received the, the uh, sour of wine, he said, It is finished. I've done everything that the Father has called me to do. And I've done everything that can save a lost sinner separated from a holy God. I've done it all. It's complete. That's why he's able to say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's why he's able to say, if you come to me, I will give you life and give it abundantly. You see, he says, I restored you with the heavenly father. And now you've been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. I've restored you so that now you have an inheritance from God. That you are a son and a daughter of God. And now you are clothed in the righteousness of God. And now you have rights as a child of God. To be able to come to the throne of grace. And make our petitions known to a holy God. Where we are seated at the right hand of God. And having fellowship with God. Amen. That's what he did. That's what he's restored us to through the life of Christ. Now, where are you and I in this whole picture? Well, as you look on the list here, we have God's purpose and plan for his divine Jesus. We already went, but God also has one for you and me. So let's look over at Psalm chapter 139. Beautiful chapter. Psalm 139. Am I talking too fast? <laughs> Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, just again, just a couple, a couple characteristics of God. Notice right off the bat in verse 1. It talks of God's omniscience. That is God's all-knowing. Look what it says. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I get up. You understand my thoughts afar. Do you know God knows? This is how he knows you and I. He is so involved in your life and my life. We have no idea. But this is God who knows it all. But we're thinking, no, not me. Yes, you. Look what it says. 
He knows that. In, in Matthew 10, 30, he says, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows when a bird falls to the ground and dies. He knows it all. Look, look at verse 7. Look at, this is what God is omniscient. Or, or excuse me, that God is omnipresent. He's all present. Look what he says. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. God is all powerful. Look at verse 13. So he's all knowing. He's all present. He's all powerful. Look at verse 13. For you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. God created you. He created me. He placed us in our mother's womb. Notice Notice what he says here. He says, I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I made a secret, when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Now look at verse 16. This is the one that will blow you away if you have not familiar with this. Look what verse 16 says. Your eyes have seen my formless substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me. In your book, all the days that were ordained for me. When as yet... None of them happened. None of them happened. Are you special in God's eyes? I mean, do you realize how much God loves us? You know, I love it over in, in Matthew chapter 7. It says, if your son asks for a piece of bread, will you give him a stone? And of course, it's rhetorical. No, you know. He says, and you who are evil... Know how to give good things to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give to those who ask? You see this? We understand how much we love our children. We understand how much we love somebody here on the earth. He said, that love is evil compared to my love for you. God's love for you and I is, it, we just cannot conceive it. But it's a fact you see, and not only that, he is so aware. He said he ordained our lives. You know what that means? God has in the book. We understand this book was the life of Jesus. It, it, it tells about his whole life. Every book in the chapter, almost every page, we can find Christ. This was the book for him and his life. But when God created you and me, you know, there's a, there was a book. It was, it's not this book. In this book talks... Oh, yeah, it talks about what God has a plan for you and I. But there's a book that's really specific. That that is, it's a DNA book. It's like, I'm making you this way. This is a personality. Uh, this is a gift or gifts I'm going to give you. This is how you're going to serve me. God has it laid out. He's ordained our lives. This is what I have for you. And the reason why it's really interesting is because over in um, Revelation in chapter 20, in verse 10, it says that the great white throne judgment, this is for those who have not trusted in Christ. It says the books were open, and also there was another book called the book of life. And that book was those whose names were not written in it. You see, so it says there were books, and God looked at the books, and he judged them by the books. You see, someday you and I, 
as believers in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, that is, you allowed that exchange to happen. You realize you were dead and lost in the transgressions of your sin, but you realize the only hope was in the person of Jesus Christ because why? He died in your place. You realize the only one who could forgive you and could pay for your sin was the person of Christ. And so by faith, even though you were not there to see Jesus, you didn't see him do any miracles, you didn't hear any of his sermons physically, you didn't see him being misjudged at a, at a mockery of a trial, you didn't see him being scourged, you didn't see him carrying his cross, you didn't see him fall down, couldn't carry his cross. You didn't see him being nailed to a cross and you didn't see him being lifted up between heaven and earth. You didn't see him put in a tomb. You didn't see him raised from the dead. But you believe it. That is faith. That is faith. And not only do you believe it, but the Bible's very clear. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Not of the law. Nothing you can do. There's nothing you can have. We heard it this morning here when the people baptized. It's, it's, it's faith alone in Christ alone. Nothing that we can do. All we can do is receive. All we can do is trust and say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the only one. And I know that I'm lost because the only way we can be saved is we first have to realize we're lost. And I know that you are the Messiah, the Lamb, the Son of God who come to take my sins away. And I'm putting my full faith and hope in you and nothing else. The Bible says what? In John 1:12, that as many as received him, to them he gave power to become sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. It's a gift. We just simply receive it. We recognize God works in our heart. We say, oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. And by faith, we call out and we say, I believe everything of what the Bible says, who you are, you are. And I'm putting my whole bank trust in Christ. And the Bible says what? We become born again. You see, what did you have to do to become a sinner? To be born what do you have to do to become a Christian? To be born, reborn again. That's all that's required. And it's what? We are saved by grace through faith. And that is not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so that is how you and I can enter in. And so the, the life that God has for you and I is that he ordained your life. Look over at Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43, just a couple books to your right. Isaiah chapter 43, and look at verse 7. Isaiah 43, 7, look what it says. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Everyone whom I've called by my name, I created him for my glory. You see, when, but before you got saved, for those of you who know Christ, there was a calling on your life. You heard the gospel and you realized that you were lost and you realized that Christ is the only way and you received the call. That is the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin and righteousness and of judgment. And by faith, you received that call and you trusted in Christ. That was the call. He says, look, Everyone who is called by my name, I have created you to glorify me. We're created to glorify God. That's why we're here. 
That's why we exist. So how does that, how does that look? How does that work in our lives? And, and uh, look at Romans 8, 28 through 30. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And I can tell you right now, we are not going to finish everything I have on this page. So some of you are going like, praise the Lord. Uh, Romans 8, 28 through 30. God's word. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Notice that? Those who are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you and me. Everyone called. Now notice what God, how God, what, what everyone who is called. He said, for those whom he foreknew. You see, he foreknew you. Before you were even born. In fact, in Jeremiah 1.5, God tells Jeremiah, he says, before you were even in your mother's womb, I called you to be a prophet. You see, so God knew us even before there was any part of uh, you and I even existing. So he has a plan for you. Look, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. That firstborn is a status of preeminence. That is, he is the firstborn. The firstborn got a majority of all the inheritance. The firstborn was the one that was over all, and Christ took up that because why? He came as flesh and blood like you and me. He's, he's my brother. He's my brother because why? He came like me. He identified with me. He's flesh, he was blood. And so he's preeminent. Notice verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he glorified. So the last verse here to look in this section, and then uh, I'll just start to wrap it up here. Look over in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Notice what it says. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10, Ephesians 2.10, God has a purpose and a plan for you. You are his divine design. Look what it says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God foreordained, which God prepared beforehand that you and I would walk in them. Do you see that? Is that not awesome? God has prepared a life that you and I would walk in him. You see, one of the things that God said but when he was laying down his law, he says, you will not worship any other God but me. He says, I am a jealous God. I love you. I have a life for you. You see, it's kind of like this as a parent. If you notice your, your, your kid's hanging out with a drug addict, and you're like, don't hang around that person. Why? Because they might become a drug addict. And so you, you, you try to cut that off. You say, this is not the plan that I had for you. You see, I don't want you to go that road. I want you to go this road. You see, even humans, we have this same thing, right? God is, is so much more, right? Because he said, you just don't know the life I have for you. You just don't know it. If you knew the life I had for you, you would love me with all of my heart. You would love me with all of your strength and all of your soul and all your mind because I have a life for you that will blow you away. 
I have it for you. But guess what? We're over here like this, wanting to go over here. We're thinking, I, I, I have something better. You know, I think this is what's best for me. And so the enemy comes and what? He throws fake lures. He's the father of lies. And he throws lies. And you're saying, you know, this is think what I need right here. This is what I'm going to go after. This is what's best for me. This is what's going to make me more money. This is what's going to make me more prestigious. This is, what's gonna, this, is what, this is what I need. And over here, guess what? Right here, it says what? This book of law shall not depart from your mouth. You must meditate in it day and night and observe to do all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have great success. Do we want to be prosperous and successful in Christ? Amen. And here it is. Guess what we do? Well, what's on Netflix tonight? Or what's on social media? Or, you know, what's over... In the meantime, the Word of God sits right there. How much time this past week did you spend getting along with God and crying out to God? How much time did you spend with God talking with Him? You know what? He's a jealous God. He's waiting. Think about the prodigal. The prodigal got his and ran and said, I'll just live my own life. And what? The prodigal finally came to his senses. And he says, I'll go back to my father's house. And guess what? As he come back, the father was what? Waiting. The father's waiting. Where's my son? There's my son. And the father ran to his son. The father held him in his chest and to look to wipe the tears from his eyes and said, my son, you are lost, you've come home. You see, God wants us. He wants that time of fellowship. The reason why he died is to restore back with, with him again that we would be holy now because of the holiness of Christ. We're righteous now. We have the right now as sons of God to come before God and say, Abba, Father, thank you. Lord, you know what I'm going through. You know what I've done. You know what I've seen. You know what I'm thinking. But God, praise you for your mercy and your goodness and your favor on me, God. Thank you. Thank you. And God says, come here. Come, you who are burdened and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. It's easy. It's light. Cast your care on me because I love you. He's waiting. What are we doing with our time? What is more important? I mean, think about, think about how many sports games we watch or how many sports games we do. And yet God's living word, God's living word sits there. And guess what? We Oh, can't got to remember to bring out church next Sunday. And it's living word. Do we want life? Do we want life from the giver of life, from the one who gives life? He says, if so, you need to be in my word. How can a young man make his way pure? How can a young man, a young man we know in Proverbs is one that wandered, made bad decisions, joined the wrong gang, wrong financials. They were the ones that were susceptible to the harlot that was calling and leaning over. They were the ones that, hey, how can they, how can they make their way straight? With my whole heart I've sought you, oh, let me not wander from your word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Is God's word in your heart? Are you struggling with sin? Is sin just over-creeping you, empowering you, that God has already delivered you from the penalty of sin? 
God will deliver you from the power of sin. The problem is, if we are choosing to go over here to what the world offers, then guess what? We are not going to experience. So we, we have no power. This is, this is the power of God's word. We have to get into God's word. It says, the word of I hid in my heart, that might not sin against you. But yet we will do all these other things that make me feel good. Or that I think brings value. And yet we will not spend time in the presence of a living God. You see, God calls us to himself. The enemy what? The enemy wants to distract you and I. Remember with Moses, Moses went before Pharaoh, says, let my people go that we can go into the wilderness and worship. And what did Pharaoh say? He went to his taskmasters and he said this. He said, take away their straw. Make them go out and wander the land and find the straw. Busy them up so they won't have time to worship. And that's exactly what he did. And guess what? The enemy has not changed his playbook one bit. Busy us up so he will not have time. Because why? God, the enemy knows what God can do through one man or one woman that's fully committed to him. The enemy knows what, what God can do in that body that he has ordained their life for, that he has prepared for them to live, the life that God has for them. He knows. And so he is out working. And I don't think he's working so hard in Christian America to keep us busy so that we don't have time for God. We have time for God. Well, I see it's getting late. So um, what can we do? Well, one thing that we can only do is recognize, remember. Remember what God has done for you and for me. Remember. We need to go back to our first love. We need to remember what God has for you and I. And in remembering that, then what? We need to repent. We need to ask God to forgive us. God, forgive me for putting other things. Uh, again, uh, Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the river the, of living water. And what have they done? They've replaced me, and they built up these little cisterns, these little cracked cisterns where they pour water in, but they're cracked, and they hold no water. You see, so what we're doing is we're forsaking the living God, the one who gives us life, and we're going after these things, and we're creating our own little cisterns that crack, and we're getting no satisfaction. That's why it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Why? We're satisfied. Why? He leads me. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Any of you need your soul restored? He's the great shepherd. He's waiting. He's waiting. So what we can do, the action, is in Romans 12, verse 1. Where Paul, after he has gone through the first 11 chapters of Romans, he finally says this. After knowing his whole thing, that God has delivered you from your sin, the penalty of sin. God will also deliver you from the power of sin. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, there's going to be a battle. That is, you're going to do things you don't want to do. And the things you want to do, you don't do. Oh, wretched man that you are. But who is able to deliver me from this? Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find out there's power as we walk in the Spirit of God. That what? That is, we come to God and we say, Lord, the same way that Jesus came. That you had a life for him. You had a purpose for him. I want to get in line with that. 
I want to step out, and Lord, I want what you have for me. And just like Jesus understood why he came was to glorify you and to finish the work, Father, that's what I want. I want your life. I want your life. And so I urge you as brothers and sisters in Christ to present your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. A living, see, God had plenty of dead sacrifices. He's fed up with them because they were going through the motions. But hey, when we put our life on it, we say, God, here's my mind, here's my emotion, here's my will, here's my body. Use me for your glory. We step out and we say, Lord, I give myself to you. This is how you will be worshiped. This is how you will be honored and glorified. And so, therefore, that's the act. That's the act today. There's maybe some of you have never done Christian. You've never done that before. You've never come out and said, Lord, I give you this life. I'm t- I realize, God, that I've chased other things. I've realized I've been distracted. But, God, I'm going to trust what you have for me. You've ordained my life even before you knew any part of, of, or, or any part of me was formed. I can trust you. I see how your word, I want you. I want the abundant life you have for me. That's for you, Christian, brother or sister. That's for me. But what about you here this morning that might not know? You might say, man, I understood a little bit what you're saying, but I don't get all of it. But here's what you need to know. You need to know right now that if you were to die and you don't know Jesus Christ, that if surely if God took his wrath out on his own son who didn't commit sin because he was bearing the sins of the world, that is, before a holy God, he saw his son as, a, as sin, and God cursed him, and God poured out of his wrath that God was just holding back from eternity and holding back to when he created the world and all the sin, the people, and God judged his son. And if God did that to his own son and forsook him and left him on the cross to die naked and die alone, if he did that to Jesus, where are you going to stand in the day that when you die and you stand before a holy God, he's going to cur- He's going to say, "Depart from me, you, n- you wicked one! I never knew you." So, if you've never trusted in Christ, your sin can be forgiven. If you've never trusted in Christ, the exchange can happen. He'll forgive. He'll take your sins, but he will clothe you in his righteousness so that you now, before a holy God, you're righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. He became for us righteousness of God. He became for us sanctification. He became for us our redeemer. You see, he became for you and I. That's the exchange. He will do that for you. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have plans for us. God, you have plans to prosper us. Lord, you have plans to reveal yourself to us in a way, God, that we can have fellowship with you so that we don't have to go through this life in turmoil, in shame, in separation. But because of Jesus, we can experience your life, your abundant life. We can experience your love. We can experience your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness and faithfulness. God, thank you.
Lord, we want to give ourselves to you this morning. We call you Lord. You're a master. You're a ruler. We want to follow you. We realize our plan is not your plan. We realize that your thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we, we offer ourselves to you, Father, as a living sacrifice to use us for your glory, that you will be glorified. Lord, you'll be honored. And someday when we stand before you, Lord Jesus, we'll hear, well done, you good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But Lord, for those that don't know you, Father, we pray for your spirit to call them. We pray that your spirit to convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment and that they will realize that you love them. You died for them. You died in their place and you want the exchange and give them your righteousness as you take their sin away and you be glorified so that someday they can hear, well done, you good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for your mercy, your goodness, and we just glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you.